0: I want to join with Nathan in welcoming you here this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to come and worship. I also want to join with him in saying what a wonderful morning it is to see so many chairs filled until you get to see it from this vantage point. You don't understand quite what a difference it makes to see all of your wonderful faces as we share the gospel together this morning. Certainly, our hearts are heavy this morning for the loss of loved ones, for the circumstances uh, that we're in. And this week, uh, as a dad, I can tell you uh, that, that not only uh, has there, there been a lot uh, in the church family, but a number of things went on this week uh, with me in, in having some discussions with a couple of my daughters uh, in situations that um, as a father uh, you, you think about have kids they say. <laughs> It'll be fun they say. <laughs> and in in listening to the wonderful words that Ian said for two wonderful women uh, this week. And in sharing uh, those two lives with my daughters, I looked into the Bible at some of the words that Ian had said and shared them with them, and I want to share them with you this morning. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible handy, to follow along. Because I want to tell you about a great woman, a great woman named Tabitha. And as we go through the life of Tabitha, or better yet, what we know of Tabitha, I want you to ask yourself the question, how close are you? How close are you? I want you to think about it in these terms. I hope each of you listened and took to heart and prayed the prayer with Ian as he prayed for all of us. And I want to call your attention to a couple of the words that he said uh, during that prayer. He talked about helping us never to take one another for granted. And he specifically referred to us as family. That we would never take the fellowship that you and I, this morning and every day, have with one another. But I wonder if you caught in his prayer in his words when he prayed about us in our relationship with our neighbor and then he went a little further and he prayed in our relationship with our co-workers have you ever stopped and thought about all of those relationships have you ever stopped and thought about how different relationships in your life can be? I want you to think about that for a second. When we talk about family, family is something we hold very important. We hold very close. Someone we see very often. Someone that we, we can go to. Some, someone that we know deeply. And then there's others who we would call close, but not quite as close as family. We refer to them as neighbors. We see them often. Maybe we know some things very intimately about their lives, but they live next door. They live next door, so we don't have quite an intimate connection to those people, but we still feel close. Then there's some we see every once in a while. We see them at work, and some of them we feel as though we're close to, but we've never actually been to their homes. We don't really know what they're like around anyone else other than in a work situation. If you think about it, then we have some other coworkers who may be in the company, but they're not in our building. Maybe they're in the company and they're not only not in our building, but they're not in the same city. So the connection that we have to them is by electronics, by email. Maybe we've heard their voice and maybe when they fly into town and they're in the building, we're on our best behavior. Still, there's others. There's others that we feel close to. We feel connected because there's some connection, but we've never even laid eyes on them. We've never even met them, much less spoken to them. But you know what? We feel some connection to them. And yet, there's still others in the world who we not only don't know anything about, we've never seen them. We've never talked to them. Maybe we've never even heard of them. You know, as I go through uh, that relationship, if you, if you think about those relationships in your lives, I'm certain you could think of people who you could put anywhere in between those relationships. Now I want you to stop. Where would you put God on that continuum? That's a little deeper question, isn't it? How close are you to God? Let's look at Acts 9 again, that was read for us. And I thank Warren for uh, doing the reading of the morning. just as he read from the King James Version, all of my verses this morning are from the King James Version, Version, but you can follow along uh, and you'll get everything that you need if you have a new King James or whatever version you're reading, but uh, so that you're aware all of the verses up here are going to be from the King James Version. We're going to start in Acts the ninth chapter. In Acts the 9th chapter, verse 36, the Bible says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as, and I believe it's pronounced Lutta I like Lydda better, but sometimes when we translate things to English, words get really messed up. But I believe it's pronounced Lutta was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him unto the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth. That means he put them all out. He excused them, if you will. He got them out of there and he kneeled down and he prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. I wonder, in Acts chapter 9 here, and what we read, which is the entirety of what we know about Tabitha or Dorcas, I'm going to use the name Tabitha, and I'll tell you why I'm going to use the name Tabitha. Dorcas is the Greek translation of the name Tabitha. But I was once a child, and as a child I was young like many of you, and I remember when a preacher would stand up here and they would use the word Dorcas because of our modern lingo or the slang that we use as a child, I always laughed inside. So we're just going to call her Tabitha. What do you know about Tabitha? You know, if you look past Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, what you see is a single event in Tabitha's life. The event in which she gets sick, she dies, and then Peter comes and a miracle is performed. That's a single event. But when I ask you, what do you know about Tabitha, You take that way, that event, and everything about Tabitha's life we learn in verse 36. Do you have any questions about Tabitha? I wonder where she came from. What were her parents like? What did she do? throughout her life, what are some of the other events that took place? Who was Tabitha close to? How old was Tabitha? How young was Tabitha? You know, if Tabitha came to dinner, which certainly she ate at some point, what kind of things would she say? What kind of things would she do? Are any of those questions important to you in knowing Tabitha? They should be. I want to tell you why. We don't know a whole lot about her upbringing, we don't know a whole lot about her socioeconomic status. Here's the cute thing. If you want to go back and study Tabitha, and you want to go back and you want to read some of the commentaries on Tabitha, and you want to read uh, some of the historical accounts of Tabitha's life based on this verse right here, and based on the event that occurred and what happened around Tabitha, I can tell you the historical accounts of Tabitha are full of men's assumptions because the Bible told us all we need to know about Tabitha a number of men who are way smarter than me and way more studied than me talked about how Tabitha must have been a person of means And the assumption is that she was a person of means, meaning she had money. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, Tabitha must have been semi-well-to-do because she had all of this material to do garments. And she was so important that Peter came running. So let's assume those men are correct. What you're saying is Peter, as an apostle of God, only came for the people of means. He wouldn't have come running for some poor woman probably a bad assumption we say she had to be mean a person of means because she had all the material so we assume that nobody around her would have come and given her scraps of material and she was so blessed that she could work those scraps with her hand and make something great probably a terrible assumption So I can tell you, when you read about Tabitha, all you need to know about Tabitha is found right here in the scripture. And what we know about Tabitha, I can tell you, like Thelma and like Anne, Tabitha has some qualities here that I want. And I hope this morning you want without assumption without guessing just knowing what you know from the scriptures is true because here's what we know of Tabitha there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha which by interpretation is called Dorcas this woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did and that says it all What we know about Tabitha from that one short verse is she was a disciple who it says was full of good works and alms deeds. She was a servant. And she did it. She was a light. So let's talk about Tabitha, the disciple. Uh, When we think about uh, the fact that the scriptures contain The name of Tabitha, what we know of is Tabitha was a specified person. What do I mean by that? I mean that if we were to go back in time and we were travel to Joppa, Tabitha was a person with a face. Tabitha was a person whom we could lay our hands on in the flesh. She was real. Now, what's important about her name being contained in this book? You ever thought about the fact that Tabitha's name is contained in the most important book you will ever read? Why is that important? We don't know a whole lot about her life. We know that she got sick and she died. I'm going to tell you the first thing we learn about Tabitha, above all other things, is that she was a disciple. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. And as you listen to the words of John chapter 8, I'm going to bring your focus in. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Are you a disciple this morning? Whatever it was about the life of Tabitha, there's probably a number of characteristics that they could have pulled out and made them first. But they specifically said that at Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha. So evidently, this one uh, was pretty important. How close are you to God? Are you a disciple this morning? You know, many of us as adults uh, have taken stock in our lives and we've done kind of an audit of our own hearts. If you haven't done that as an adult, It's time. But I want to speak to the kids. And I'm saying kids, I mean kids of all ages, but specifically those um, who are in their younger years, the children uh, this morning. Are you a disciple? You know, we have many children in this congregation who have been obedient to the gospel, who have put on Christ. But to you children, I want you to know something. And this isn't easy for me as a father to say. But it's the truth. You cannot follow on your father's faith. You cannot follow on your father's faith. For you children, I want you to know what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, if your father continues in my word, then are you my disciples? Jesus did not say, if you follow in your Father's word, then are you my disciples. He said you. How close are you to God? You see, as a father, I can read all of His words. And I can meditate on all of His words. And in fact, I can do everything I can that I believe I have put all my power into sharing my knowledge and my understanding of the Father and the Son that He sent to give His life. But unless you have your faith that you build and you cultivate, You cannot follow on your father's faith. I want you to see how Paul put this to one that he loved dearly, one who was doing the Lord's work. And he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 and 6, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. What did Paul say to Timothy? Paul said to Timothy, I remember and I'm bringing to mind, I am recalling right now the faith that is in you. In fact, I recall the unfeigned, the real, the sincere faith of your grandmother. I remember that wonderful woman and I remember the faith of your mother. I remember that wonderful woman. But what did he say to Timothy? He didn't say it's enough that your grandmother or your mother had real faith. In fact, he said, I put thee in remembrance that you stir up The gift of God. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Paul said you can't follow on your grandmother's faith. You can't follow on your mother's faith. You have to stir it up in you. You know what would have been really neat of Paul to say is. Timothy. I'm an apostle of Christ and because I'm an apostle of Christ and I have chosen you, it's okay. I'll stir up the gift you have. I mean Peter, I mean Paul was an apostle, right? And his son in the faith, his son who he had sent to do wonderful works for the church. He said, I want you, like your grandmother and like your mother, to be a disciple. And it's up to you to stir that gift that is in you. John, the 14th chapter, John 14 and verse 23, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will, will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. I want you to notice what Jesus said to this man. Jesus said, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You ever thought about love? You ever thought about the intricate detail of love in this way? Is there anybody that you love that you've never heard of and you don't even know if they exist? Let me give you an example. A number of the evangelists who have traveled to foreign lands and they have met people who have never left their country in India. In Nigeria. They've never been on TV. They've never been in pictures that have been sent out. But those evangelists know their names. Do you know their names? You ever tried to love somebody you don't even know if they exist at all? You know one of the unique characteristics about love is love requires a relationship. You ever thought of that? Love in some way requires there be a relationship. And Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my words. Because love requires there to be participants, there to be parties, there to be some relationship there. You know what Tabitha knew? Tabitha knew whose she was. You ever thought of that? Tabitha knew exactly whose she was. You know, Timothy had this benefit Timothy had this benefit of a lineage. Timothy had the benefit of having a wonderful grandmother and a wonderful mother who had taught him whose he was. You know what we know of Tabitha? We know that Tabitha knew who she was. How do we know that? What did her mom and dad do for a living? If you're going to answer that question, you have to make some assumptions, right? You have to make some guesses. What about her grandparents? Because I think her grandparents were probably really, really great people. But in order for me to think that, we have to make some guesses, some assumptions that aren't there. But here's what I do know. No matter who her grandparents were, were or who her parents were or what they did, We know that Tabitha knew who her Savior was. And the Bible says that based on that, she was in fact a disciple. And I want you to see what this disciple chose to do with that knowledge. The Bible says in verse 36 there of Acts chapter 9, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple. That disciple's name was Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. We know that she knew exactly who she was to the point that the Bible says she was full of good works. That word full means she was covered over. That means that's who she was. This disciple was full of good works and alms deeds. I want you to notice that there's two different terms used here. That it says of Tabitha that she was full of good works and it separates those from alms deeds. If you look at the definition of alms deeds there, it says that this alms deeds is actually. Uh, benevolence or doing good to those who are poor, those who were unable uh, to do certain things. And the good works here, I want you to notice that the good works are defined within the story of this event in that her works were always done as a sacrifice of herself for the good of someone else and she was full of good works and alms deeds i want to show you something about being a servant here the bible says as paul wrote in romans the 12th chapter and verse 1 now i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to notice that as Paul is writing about you and I, and is talking about how we're set apart, he says, be not conformed to this world, saying that there is something different between the spiritual and the physical. But I want you to notice, as he's talking about you and I, by the mercies of God, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. You ever thought about that in terms of work? The Bible says... That we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable what? Service. That, that word means what we know it to mean. You ever tried to serve uh, without somebody else there? Let's think about this. Um. If I was a waiter and I had this neat towel and I had this neat uh, outfit on and I had all this fancy food and I walked up to this front row of chairs and I said the most pleasant things and I filled the cups here and I, I put down the greatest meal here, would you call me a great servant that I had done a great service? And the answer is, I just wasted a whole bunch of time. Because these chairs are empty. But if I walked to the next row, and I went to the Jones family, and I said all these pleasant things, and then I gave them, you know what I just did? I just served. What's the idea of service and sacrifice? It means it takes away something from you to give to the benefit of someone else to the glory of God. That's service. And that's what Paul said. Paul said that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the glory of God, which is your reasonable what? It's your reasonable service. Matthew the six chapter and verse two says, "Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets." that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You remember in Acts chapter 9 there, when Tabitha, it said, got sick and she died, and it says that they prepared the body and they had laid it in an upper room or the upper chamber there. That is what we would talk about getting ready for burial or getting ready uh, for a funeral service there. You ever thought about who all was there? Where were all the guys? Where were the men? Where were those big, stout, tough men at when they were needed here? I tell you what, the Bible says there were two of them. And it says the women sent those two to go after Peter. And when Peter got back what did he find? He found a bunch of widows who were weeping. And those widows were bringing the garments and the robes or the coats as you will. And he was and they were saying, "Look, look at what look at what she did while she was here. Look what She prepared for us. Look what she had done. Who did Tabitha serve? You think about Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, Luke, in writing this account, this story was inspired to write a story in which the widows... You know, maybe we don't take that term as seriously as we should. Maybe we don't quite understand the perspective of the widow biblically. These were people who had to be taken care of, these were people who had needs. And the man of the house was gone. The man of the house was not returning. And it wasn't the men that these widows looked to. It was Tabitha. It was Tabitha who had made their garments. It was Tabitha who had made the robes and the coats that would cover them and protect them. It was Tabitha who they wept over. You know what Jesus said here about service is what we see in the life of Tabitha. You know, in Ro- in Paul in the book of Romans said, be ye transformed instead of conformed. You ever thought about why you do what you do? You ever stop to think about the work that you do with your hands? I hope that the work you do with your hands are is to the glory of God. I hope that that work is done in your heart and in your mind so that the Lord... We'll have the glory. But I think on some level, if we were to be honest, that a lot of the work we do is so that our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and those a little further out will notice what we do so that we might feel important, so that we might feel needed. And the danger in that is this. The danger is, the Lord said, you've got your reward. If you need me to praise you, if you need me to look up to you, if you need me to pat you on the back, there's a real danger in that. And the danger is, Franklin didn't say you had your reward. The Lord did. that means that out when I do something to your good when I do something to a lot of people's good when I do something to one person's good there's one person that needs to know it happened and it's you so that you Receive your reward from the king. You see, Tabitha, she was full of good works and alms deeds. She didn't need the praise of Peter. And she didn't need these widows bowing down at her feet because she was a disciple and all she needed was to give God the glory. Look at Matthew, the 25th chapter. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, uh, one of the stories that Jesus gives about the final judgment, about the final day, it says that when the Lord comes in His glory or when the Son of Man comes in His glory and He sits on the throne, it says there He's going to separate people and on His right hand, He's going to put the righteous, and He refers to them as sheep, so that they would understand that. And He said on His left hand, and if that's to you, that would be your left hand and your right hand, that He was going to separate them there. And on His right hand, He was going to put uh, the sheep, and on His left, He would put the goats. And the sheep were the righteous, and the goats were the unrighteous. And then He's told the righteous... That they would enter into eternal life, that they would enter into the kingdom. And he said, Because there were certain things in life that you, the righteous, the sheep on my right hand, the reason you will receive the Father's reward is that you have done certain things. You have fed the hungry, you have given drink to the thirsty, you have clothed those who are naked. Those who were lonely or alone or in prison, you visited. And as we would all do, the Bible says in verse 37 of chapter 25, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do we understand what Jesus said about that final day? We will not be separated based on our lineage or genealogy. We will not be separated based on our socioeconomic status. We will not be separated based on our skill level. We will not be separated based on how much glory we do or do not have in this life. We will be separated based on surface. And I want you to notice something about every one of the events which Jesus declared in Matthew 25 would be a separating factor. When someone else was hungry, you fed them. When someone else was thirsty, you gave them drink. When someone else was naked, you clothed them. When someone else was alone, when someone else was a stranger, when someone else was in prison, you went and visited them. And every time you did that, you did that to the king. That is sacrificial service. I want you to notice one last thing about Tabitha. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to pull out verse 39 and verse 42. Verse 39 says, Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, he brought him, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made. While she was with them, verse forty-two. After we hear of this event, this miracle that's occurred uh, at her death, bringing her back to life, it says, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. You know what the reward of Tabitha's life was? The reward. Was the glory of the Father. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 14, says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father uh, which is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before the men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You know there's a reverse of this, which means you have a choice. You ever thought about what darkness does? Darkness brings in fear and doubt. Now, uh, before you come up to me and say, you know what, I really love night vision goggles and I want to go hunt in the dark and the dark is the best time to go and shoot coyotes and they're getting all out of you and bring them in or whatever. Uh, before you go and say that, I- I'll just say, there are some cute little exceptions. But, but here's the truth. Uh, the truth is that if I blindfolded you and said, now you've got to go throughout your day with no light, most of you are going to go, that'll last about three seconds. <laughs> because if you think about it, there's just not a whole lot you can do in the dark. You know what I hate about daylight savings time when it gets started at six o'clock at night is i lose a lot of time feeding cows and you know what's really scary is black cows at night <laughs> no matter how sweet they are it doesn't matter <laughs> i want to be done by the time the big light goes out <laughs> because uh, 1500 pound cows scare me to death in the dark i'm kind of used to them in the day Christ said, you are the light of the world. You ever think about your light? Have you been a light lately? Because if you haven't, what's that mean? What example are you setting? Because here's the truth. (laughs) The only light that's going to shine, that's going to bring anybody home, is the light of a disciple. That's it. You know, sometimes I'd like to think that, uh, I'm sure you remember a few years ago, when, uh, because of an event that occurred here in Houston Gas, an officer being shot, uh, a number of people put blue lights in their uh, porch light. And and then I think about, you know, there's some lights that that are red that that are meant to be dim so that they, they don't affect. You know, the problem with all of that thinking is The only light that matters is the disciples' light. You can't change the bulb. You can't change the porch light out and say, yeah, but I I just really like to play in the dark. Because the only light that's going to lead anybody home is the disciples' light. You know, Tabitha had that heart. Tabitha had that porch light that made sure no matter how dark it got in the world, you knew your way home. And we know that because it says that because of the life of Tabitha and what happened to Tabitha and those around her that saw her light, it says they believed in the Lord. They found their way home. They saw that porch light and they came home. Colossians, the third chapter and verse 23, as we close here. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. What's that word heartily mean? You know, I always thought that the word heartily here means be a hard worker. I always thought that the term that was working here was a man who would go out and he would work with his hands, and he would work with his mind, and he would work with things so that we could say he's a hard-working man. And that hard-working men are the living embodiment of this verse. And I was wrong. That word heartily has a very specific meaning. In fact, if you look it up in Strong's, it's more full than just hardworking. It's, it's more full than just I'm tired because that's a physical thing. In fact, if you look up in Strong's, it says heartily, heart, mind, soul, and body. Whoa. You ever heard those things put together? With thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength or thy body. You ever heard those things? You see what Paul said to the church at Colossae? He said, if you're going to do something, whatever you do, give it your all. Why? Why? you ever stop to think about your influence and the example you're setting from that perspective? You see, it's one thing to set an example of hard work. It's another thing to set an example of hard work that shows others who the Savior is that shines the light of the Father who sent His Son and the light of the Son who gave His life for you. And you know what Tabitha knew? It didn't matter where she came from. It didn't matter about any of the outward characteristics of a life, what mattered was that she knew who she was. In fact, she was a disciple. And this woman was full of good works. She was a servant. And because of that, she knew exactly whose glory it was that others would get from her life. I hope you'll go back and read this over and over and over and over. And just like I hope you forever remember the life of Thelma and the life of Anne, I hope you remember them because they're examples. And I hope you'll always remember the example of Tabitha. And I hope that when your day comes, you'll be remembered for the exact same reasons. If you're not a child of God this morning, you have an opportunity to be obedient to the gospel, to be buried with him in baptism, to put on Christ, and to become his disciple indeed. If you are a child of God and there's something we can pray with you or for you, we'd encourage you to come forward and have a seat on these three chairs on my right-hand side, your left-hand side, as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.